Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. We're continuing our sermon series, Grow Together, Flourishing as Disciples of Jesus in Community. And uh, I want to pick up where I left off last week. Uh, But if you weren't here, that's okay. I'll I'll, I'll catch you up. Last week, I talked to you about my eccentric cross-country coach. And I mean, this guy, he was very eccentric. He was very intense, very eccentric. We did all kinds of things that nobody else did. Um, And one of the things that we did is we would often arrive to our meets like ungodly early, very early. Sometimes we'd, we'd, if it was a, if it was an invitational, we'd go the day before. And what we'd do is he would have us walk the 5K course, walk. That's right. The course we were about to run, he wanted us to walk it. And along the way, he would point out various things for us to be aware of, different turns and so on. But often he was very concerned about the hills. Because it's often in the hills that the race can be won or lost. And so he wanted us to be very strategic about how we ran the hills. You don't think running has much strategy, but it actually has a little bit. <laughs> and so uh, what, you, what he would tell us to do is when we'd get to the, 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 start, the very base of the hill, he would mark it off for us and say, at this point, I want you to start running hard. You're just going to run hard. You're going to try to put as much distance on the guy next to you as much as you can. And then when you get to the top of the hill, your competition is probably going to be tired. And so I want you to run hard again. And you're going to count to 10. And you're going to run down this hill for 10 seconds past the hill. You're going to count for 10, past the hill, and you're just going to put, it, put, it, put some hurt on the guy behind you so you get some distance and break his spirit. I told you he was eccentric. <laughs> I remember one invitational was one of the biggest invitationals of the year. There's like 400 or so uh, runners at this invitational. And uh, there was a very infamous spot in the course that we needed to go see beforehand. And the spot was called Agony Hill. (laughs) You can begin to imagine what we're about to encounter. It was a a nearly quarter mile hill that was nearly upright. And it was in the woods. And there was, it was basically nearly all sand. And, but, and then the roots of the trees are also kind of growing over the sand. And so it was very difficult. And so you, had, you literally had to strategize, where am I going to place my feet? Do I want to run on this side of the sand or on this side? How many roots are involved on this journey up the, up the Agony Hill? And it lived up to its name. <laughs> I mean, it was brutal. But I'm thankful that our coach had prepared us. He looked at the course ahead and taken us through, pointing out the different pitfalls and obstacles that might be on our way. And friends, this is what I want to do for us this morning. I want us to preview the Christian journey, the Christian life, and look at some of the pitfalls, some of the obstacles, some of the areas that we might want to be more careful, some of the things that we might want to strategize about beforehand so that when they come, because they will come, we will be prepared. So that is what we are going to do this morning. I'm teaching on the topic, growing in holy perseverance, to help us persevere over some of these pitfalls and to make it to the end of the race. And we could look at the entire Bible to look at this topic, but I'm going to limit myself to what the book of Hebrews teaches us about this. Because one of the main concerns of this author is that we would persevere until the end. Like my cross-country coach, the author of Hebrews, is showing us some of the dangers on the path and the strategies to overcome them. 
So this morning, we are going to look at four dangers on the path and four strategies to deal with them. The first danger that you might encounter on this path is the hardening of the heart. This is something to watch out for because it is, it is very tricky to know when it is happening. Look at what Hebrews 3.13 says. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We know that sin is tricky, it is deceitful. When you are faced with a sinful choice of some kind, many rationalizations will begin to present themselves to your mind. You know, most people, Satan is too smart for this, most people do not take the, the, the big bait to go do some heinous sin outright. Most people are smart enough to say no to something like that. But it's the little steps along the way, the little compromises, the, the little steps towards sins where we say, it's not such a big deal, it's just a little, it won't matter too much, no one will notice, surely God couldn't care about this. Did he really command this in the scriptures? These, this is the way that Satan and sin works. F.F. F. Bruce says, where the right path lies clear before the eyes, a disinclination to follow it can be reinforced in the mind by many beguiling lies of ra rationalization. But to surrender to them results in a hardening of the heart, a reduced sensitivity of conscience, which makes it more difficult to recognize the right path on a subsequent occasion. What he's saying is when we give into the deception, when we resist the conviction of the Spirit, when we resist the right path, when we go against our own conscience, we harden our hearts. We won't be as sensitive to the, to the wrongness or sinfulness of sin. We will begin to rationalize it, to justify it. And the result of this over time, when, you, when, you heart, when the heart hardens over time, uh, the complete result of it is not only justifying the sin, but also beginning to celebrate it, to be proud of it. This is the whole path that Paul describes in Romans 1, that, that chapter that describes the humanity going against God, and that the very conclusion of that is that he says, they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. The justification, the rationalization leads to celebrating and applauding. So we have to watch out that we don't be even begin this process at all. That we don't sear our conscience and harden our hearts against God's word and the conviction of the Spirit. So when we sin, do we feel any remorse or do we find ourselves rationalizing it? Are we currently justifying any unholy behaviors in our, in our life? Are our hearts hardened to the seriousness of sin? I'm even wondering as I'm preaching about this, are you getting defensive? Are you, are you saying, no, maybe it's not that serious? Sometimes I wonder if we're thinking that. How do we watch out for this pitfall of hardening? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us strategies, and the, strat the first strategy against this one is daily encouragement. Daily encouragement. If you can go back to the verse, actually. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened 
by sin's deceitfulness. So the author is saying we need relationships with others that keep us from being deceived because we don't see it coming. We, we rarely see the deceit and the rationalizations of our own life. We need other people to help us to keep us from being hardened against sin. And we need also the regular encouragement to make progress on the journey. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian, he wrote, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. Did you catch that? By himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth, without deceiving yourself. We cannot help our own selves. That is how deceitful sin is. We can't overcome this pitfall on our own because we will likely continue to be deceived and to justify our own behaviors and to harden our hearts. So we need someone to snap us out, to snap us out of this, to wake us up and to encourage us to pursue repentance and growth and healing. So we battle the hardening of the heart by daily encouragement from brothers and sisters. But friends, this life is often like Agony Hill. There's more than one obstacle. So let's look at obstacle number two, which is giving up. Giving up or maybe growing in laziness. Uh, you could maybe title this. Let's look at Hebrews 3.14. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. Again, the author's intention is to help us persevere, to make it to the finish line. I believe endurance has got to be one of the most underrated qualities of the spiritual life. Just to keep going and going and not give up. In fact, I, I mentioned this scripture last week when P the Apostle Peter, remember all those qualities about make every effort? To add these to your faith, love and mutual affection and, and so on. Well, perseverance is one of those qualities. To make every effort to add to our faith, perseverance, endurance. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say this in Hebrews 6. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. See how that keeps coming up? To the very end. So that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You know, there may be lots of reasons why we may be tempted to give up. And by giving up, I don't mean it's possible that you could be totally give up on Jesus, but I'm really more talking about kind of the, the giving up that leads to coasting. Now, uh, if you've ever done long-distance running, these thoughts will present themselves to you multiple times. And I, I can remember running on Agony Hill. You're running up that hill. And the thought comes to your mind. Why am I doing this? This is hard. I can barely breathe. Ah! Oh. And then the temptation settles in. I mean, most of us are, would be too embarrassed to totally drop out of the race. Although sometimes that can happen. That's a danger to be aware of. But most people, when those thoughts present themselves, you, start, you stop trying to win and you start just coasting. You just give up. You're still jogging. You might be still, you're jogging slow, but you've kind of given up. 
You kind of coast in. You're not trying to win anymore. You're not trying to make progress. You're just trying to just barely make it to the end. That's what, giving, that's what I mean by giving up. By faith and patience, we weather the agony hills. And if we don't give up, we simply keep running with Jesus. He's going to get us through. So you have to ask yourself, am I, have I given up really trying? Am I, am I in coasting mode right now or am I trying to make progress? Because if you're coasting, you're probably slipping. We have to press firm to the end. So how do we make sure that this doesn't happen to us? Well, the strategy that we need is spurring each other on. We have to spur each other on. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, this word spur can mean provoke, to provoke somebody into action, but you think about the spur of a boot, like a spur being driven into the side of an animal. I'm going to spur you on to further and harder running. And it says, consider. We, We are to think about. We are to be creative. We are to meditate upon ways that we can do this for our brothers and sisters. Are you thinking about ways that you can spur other people on in the church? I love how the Bible is its very honest about human nature. This is just very honest, isn't it? And that's okay. We naturally do not run the race with the diligence that we need. We need others to spur each other on. You, you need someone, you need people in your life who will say, yes, let's do that community group together. Let's get on this Bible reading plan together. Let's go, let's go to that service project together. Let's do this. Let's pursue Jesus together. You need people in your life who will do that for you. Or maybe you also need to be that for others as well. It's like someone coming alongside you in the race and just saying, let's run this together. Let's get to the end. Let's go. That's what we need. The first pitfall is the hardening of the heart. The second is just kind of giving up, just coasting, getting lazy. We battle that by spurring each other on. The third pitfall is neglecting to gather. Neglecting together. Again, back to Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. We consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more, all the more, as you see the day approaching. Now, I think this is another good passage that reminds us that the early church had some of the exact same problems that the church does today. All right? People were giving up. They were meeting together. They were neglecting the gathering of believers. Why were they doing it? Well, one biblical author uh, says, or scholar says that uh, it could be from levity, recreation, laziness, simply, or weariness, getting tired, or a vainglorious sense of superiority, being able to dispense with the spiritual aid of the community, and also a real fear of persecution. If I associate with this group, what does that do for my security and my safety? Now, these are all reasons that people isolated themselves from the gathering back then. I think you would agree with me that many of the same apply today. You know, recreation, laziness, weariness. Certainly, we have to put busyness today as a reason why we might neglect the gathering with other Christians. Um, 
you know, I know of some churches right now, uh, some pastors I know, they're actually uh, cutting off the live stream of their churches because they're having so many people not coming to worship and watching at home. Now, for our church, personally, I don't perceive this as a really an issue. I don't really see this happening all that much. Um, but let me just say that the live stream is primarily um, for those who are sick, immunocompromised, um, you can't make it. I know we have a lot of people who want to stay connected to our body and to our worship. Um, Joellen Reeves, if you're watching, I know you watch faithfully all the time. She lives in Evanston. She can't be here. Some of our missionaries, like the Ramases, they like, they like to participate. I know many of you have told me you're on vacation and you stay connected to the live stream, like when Courtney Zabonzak, when you guys were traveling, um, and she came back and, and she preached and she was able to, to keep up with the sermon series. So, those are all really legitimate and good reasons to participate online. But if you're using online as a way to neglect the gathering, when you could be here, I think that is a misuse of the technology. So we have to guard ourselves against that. And if you're watching online, we want you here. If you can be here, we would love for you to be here. Let's not neglect the gathering of believers. So the strategy to avoid neglecting to gather, this is so basic prioritize meeting together frequently. This is so basic, but you just have to prioritize it. And it says, all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me speak with you honestly here, though. I, I do think the gatherings of the early church were probably more similar to a community group eating dinner than to a worship service that we host. Okay? Okay? I told you last week that I was super excited that we have uh, 100 adults and with children, it's probably like 150 actively participating in community groups. That is amazing. Frankly, I would rather have you be a part of that. And this is sacrilegious to say than maybe even come to worship. I'd rather have 200 people in community groups than 200 people at worship. I mean, it's the, the, the value, as long as that means you're getting the encouragement that you need, we need the encouragement. And I know that we're, we're asking our, our community groups to meet weekly, um, which I know for some of you is a stretch. Thank you for making that stretch. It's maybe more frequent than you've been used to. Um, let me remind you that we're building in seasons of rest because um, we know we're human. We know we need that. That's okay. Um, but I do think that we undervalue uh, the importance of frequency in all kinds of areas. I told you that uh, my hobby over the last couple of years, have been, I've been getting into weight training kind of like powerlifting style lifting. Um, I, I put on several pounds since I ran the Chicago Marathon back in 2019. And uh, I've done, I've looked into a lot of things. I've, I'm, I'm not an exercise scientist, but I've done a, lot, done a lot of my own little research on this. And they've made a lot of progress in this field, okay? So back in kind of the bodybuilding days, they would do what was called, uh, you might have heard this term, the bro split. Okay, maybe not. No one's shaking their head at me. All right. <laughs> You've never, you've never heard this term. So, so the bro split uh, is for the bros that want to look good. So you would, you would do one po- body part a day. So you do m- Monday, I'm, I'm going to work on my biceps. Tuesday's chest. Wednesday's legs. Everyone hates leg day. You know, so there was a different body part for each of the day. Then you would come back the next week and hit it again. Um, and you will see some growth in that. But what they have learned is actually that's an ineffective way to grow your muscles. 
you actually need more frequent. So what happens is when you, when you, when you lift weights, you send a muscle-building signal to your body, okay? And that signal lasts from between 24 to 48 hours. And it starts, it starts at you, when you lift weights, you shoot it way up high, and then, after, and then it just starts going down. And it kind of gets back down to baseline after about two days. So what they found is you actually need to work out uh, a, a, the, that same muscle two to three times in one week. You want to hit it again when the signal is back down towards baseline. Okay, does that make sense? So basically, when you read a lot about exercise science now, they say that frequency is probably the number one factor for health and growth in your body. Out of anything else, no matter what kind of style of lifting, no matter what kind of exercise you do, frequency and consistency to that frequency is probably the number one factor in growth and health in your body. And I think it's the same spiritually. Frequency of gathering is probably the number one factor in our spiritual vitality and growth. I mean, I think we vastly under, underestimate this. You know, that's, I think that's why the author says, uh, don't neglect meat together, but do this all the more. Do this all the more as you see the day approaching. So increase the frequency. Increase the frequency of encouragement of gathering. That's the factor to tweak if you want to grow. And it's interesting, I think it's interesting that the author connects this to uh, the end of Jesus returning. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about. I've told many of you I'm, I'm currently in a doctoral program um, thinking about discipleship and the local church and church health. And uh, one of the projects I had to do was uh, I had to come up with the profile of a disciple. What is a disciple of Jesus? Who is a disciple of Jesus? What do they do? What are their characteristics? So I, I, did, a, I did a deep dive into all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I just started highlighting things and, and putting things in categories. Well, this fits with this, and this goes with this. Anyway, I'm not going to give you the whole paper, but I, I came up with, with 12 qualities of a disciple of Jesus. Kind of boiled everything down from the Gospels to 12, and one of the 12 surprised me. And one of those 12 characteristics of a disciple is someone who is expecting Jesus' return. That made the top. That made the boiling down. Someone who is expecting Jesus' return. That is part of being a disciple. And I think when you think about the Gospels, that is simply undeniable. Think about how often Jesus taught about this. You got the parable of the virgins. You know, the five who, who had their oil, the five who weren't ready. You have the, you have the parable of the sheep and goats, the, the end of time when Jesus comes back, the parable of the talents. You got the servant whose, master's come, whose master comes back at an hour they weren't expecting. I mean, Jesus really wanted them to be thinking about his return. You know, today in many parts of the Protestant church, it's Reformation Sunday. And Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, he inspired a quote. I don't think it's directly from him, but he inspired a quote that says, Live as though Christ was crucified yesterday, rose again this morning, and was coming back tomorrow. Think about that. If Jesus was on that cross yesterday, he rose again this morning, he's alive, he's coming back tomorrow. Wow. That's a way to live the Christian life. 
So because Christ is coming back, because I need to be ready, because I'm going to stand before the judgment seat, I need to, I need to get all the encouragement and encourage as many people as possible so that we can live faithfully, faithful to the end, firm to the end, persevering to the end. So we have to ask ourselves, how frequently are we gathering to encourage others and be encouraged? So our third pitfalls neglecting to gather and our finally our fourth one is carrying hindrances and sin carrying hindrances and sin hebrews 12 verses 1 through 2 says this therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith Friends, if we're to run this race with perseverance, we, we will grow weary and we will get tripped up if we don't throw off everything that's, that's hindering our progress in our race. Now, the hindrance, this can be something that's, as Paul says, that's permissible, but it's not beneficial. You might say, well, everything is beneficial for me, but, or permissible for me, but is it beneficial? So you have to ask yourself, what's hindering my walk with God? What's hindering my intimacy with God? What is it right now about my life that's, that's hindering my spiritual life? To ask yourself those questions and address that and watch, uh, and watch what God will do. But at the end of the day, we have, to, we have to watch not only the hindrances, but also the sin. As the writer says, the sin that so easily entangles and trips us up, like those roots on Agony Hill. We've got we to watch out for them. And as Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, Sin is serious. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter eternal life maimed than for you to go into hell. I mean, that's Jesus. He's warning of the, us the seriousness of which, in which we should take sin. So it's best to deal with sin speedily, thoroughly, and dramatically if necessary. How do we throw it off? How do we throw it off? Well, the, the writer talks about a few things. We look around at the great cloud of witnesses. We consider all the people who've run this race before, the great heroes of the Old Testament, the apostles, all the brothers and sisters, your family members. You consider the cloud of witnesses who've gone before. Let their lives inspire you to greater heights. And then we also, we don't just look around, we look at Jesus, who's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We consider how much he suffered how much he endured, and that will help us endure to the end as well. But for the point of my sermon this morning, I think we also need to consider our mutual responsibility one to another. So the strategy I'm recommending for this morning is that we simply watch out for each other. We've got to watch out for each other. And the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, 15, See to it, see to it, that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If we see a brother or sister caught in the net of sin, we should help very gently. Remember helping the, the, the splinter out of the eye? Very gently we help others. In all humility, we help others. We watch out for them. And we need to know that we need to have the humility to say, I need someone to watch out for me. I need someone to watch out for me. I'm running, I'm running this race too. So, like my cross-country coach, 
the book of Hebrews has given us a preview of the course that we will run and the obstacles along the way, the, the hardening of the heart, just giving up, neglecting to gather with others for encouragement and carrying any hindrance and sin that might affect our race. So in, li- in light of all this, how do, how do we grow? How do we grow in holy perseverance? We have daily encouragement from others. We spur each other on. We meet together frequently and we watch out for each other. So bottom line, this is something we have to do together. Grow together. Can't do it on our own. So I've been giving you a discipleship question of the week every week if you've been with us. And so far, let me just recap what I've asked you. I've asked you, what is God teaching you in the Word and how are you responding? How are you experiencing God? How are you showing and telling others about Jesus? How are you ministering to God's people? How are you generously stewarding all God has given you? What struggles or temptations are you facing? And how are you responding? What next step is God calling you to take and how are you going to take it? That's what I've asked you so far. My question for you this week is this. Who can you meet with to ask these questions? Who can you meet with to ask these questions? I believe this is a secret sauce, if you will, to our discipleship. To simply ask these questions of other believers. Friends, this, this, this life is hard. And in many ways, it, it is like Agony Hill. It just feels difficult. Uh, but let me just tell you, the, the difficulty of this journey, it's going to make the finish all the sweeter. It's going to be glorious when we finally cross that line. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So I just say to each one of you, just don't give up. Don't give up. If you're tempted to throw in the towel right now, if you're tempted just to coast, just, just keep going and find someone you can walk with to encourage you. And if, 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 you're, on, if you're on the younger side, if you're a high school student, college student, I'm going to speak to you guys right now. Find one or two friends who will ask you these questions and start walking with them now and never let them go. Never let that friendship go. If you have someone that will ask you these questions, that is a treasure. And it will be much harder after you graduate to find a friendship like that. So do it now while you can. If you're my age or you're more maybe midlife, I don't put myself in the midlife yet. <laughs> Make some space in your life for these relationships. Make some space. I know this, it, it can be busy. Career, if you have a family, life gets busy. But you got to make space for something like this. And if you're older, past the midlife maybe, would you look back on those who are younger and recognize that they probably need a space like that? A someone to come alongside and encouragement? We do not value the ministry of encouragement enough. We need, we need the, the older folks in the congregation to reach out and mentor the younger, the men, the women, mentoring and helping each other. And so, but no matter your age, Keep going and encouraging each other. I want to close with this. The, the theologian uh, Kazoke Koyama imagined that Jesus says this to those who see him upon their death. He imagines Jesus saying, you've had a difficult journey. 
you must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. The banquet is ready. It's ready. Don't give up. It's going to be worth it.